0: This is Environmental Voices Rising, Women at the Mic, and I'm your host, Michael Crawford-Zimring. This is a podcast that does not report on dire consequences and the doom and gloom scenarios that we face with climate change. We are shifting the narrative and bringing you stories from women environmental leaders whose work addresses the challenges of global warming with innovative and workable solutions. We are committed to amplifying the voices of all who are working to create sustainable and equitable solutions. At Environmental Voices Rising, we acknowledge the magnitude of the challenges. And although you may feel small, you are not powerless. We are not planning on Mars as our next destination, because right here on planet Earth, there is a lot to be done. Please join us Subscribe to the podcast and newsletter at evoicesrising.com. We are partnering with Tree Sisters, and for each new subscriber, we make a donation on your behalf to planting trees and reforesting the earth. In today's episode, I am delighted to have a conversation with fashion designer, Ellie Kotler. Ellie is currently working in Los Angeles in the fashion industry. And at the same time, she is committed to bringing equitable and sustainable standards to an industry that has for a long time relied on non-disclosure of its impacts on environmental issues. Ellie has also worked in New York. And in 2018 and 2019, she was selected to be a member of the Youth Fashion Summit at the Copenhagen Fashion Summit, which is the leading forum for sustainability in fashion. Today, she is going to help us come away with a deeper understanding of sustainability in fashion and what we as consumers can do to make more educated choices, not be swayed by common greenwashing tactics and how to hold brands
1: accountable. Ellie,
0: welcome to Environmental Voices Rising.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here and I can't wait to have this conversation with you.
0: Great, So let's start with that pivotal moment when you were first introduced to sustainability and how that put you on the path you are on today.
1: Sure, so at the time, You mentioned I was working in New York and it was like a a very hectic, busy work week. And we had this optional invite to a sustainability conference. Someone from our company was in town who was in charge of, and this was like 2007. So it was pretty early on. I had no idea what the conference would be about, decided to attend. And it was a a lecture from the NRDC's Linda Greer was presenting on the topic of Clean by Design and it's a manufacturing program to help factories overseas clean up their manufacturing processes to save money and to be more green. But that, she showed us a slideshow of what um, the factory situation looked like. And I had been working in fashion for maybe a couple, four or five years at that time, four years. I was just in shock. Like I had no idea the amount of pollution, waste, how we were affecting like water supply systems. And I just sat there, it was like slide after slide. And I was like, wow, I am really a part of this. Like I am a very negative part of this chain. Yeah, so it just, you know, it it changed my relationship with fashion from that moment.
0: And uh, changed your path. So you decided to go back and, and delve into this really seriously,
1: right? Yeah. So after that moment, you know, I actually reached out to her afterwards to see if there's anything I could do to get involved. Um, I'm sure many people did as well. So I ended up deciding to attend as many conferences as I could, like in New York. So like FIT had quite a few. Um, I was watching all the TED Talks that I could find on sustainable fashion, which was still quite a few at that time. But I, I found it overwhelming and very confusing. It seemed like a endless problem and I didn't really know where to start. And at my the job after that after that job, I tried to work with our learning and development team and sustainability team to create some type of program to educate designers and I had so much trouble pitching that idea and pitching it to management that I decided I really just needed a more formal education
0: to back up your presentations to, like, that's very challenging yeah. to go in. Yeah. yeah.
1: So I just, I didn't, I didn't really even know where to start. And I felt like I had learned about so many different individual issues, but I wasn't sure how they connect together. I didn't have, you know, more of like the whole systems approach. So I went back to school for some clarity and help with that.
0: I think being overwhelmed with issues is fairly common in the environmental space because we are dealing with complex systems. Tell us how you structured your education to get the clarity you wanted.
1: Sure. So, um, you know, for my thesis project for school, I worked with Holly Robbins as my thesis advisor, and she was very like instrumental in helping me just figure out that the real issue that I wanted to start with first is like how to define the problem because if you want to solve a problem it's you have to define it first and it sounds very very basic but very complicated so I worked together with her on my thesis of pulling together a definition of sustainable fashion you know everyone is not everyone, but a lot of people are very familiar with the Brundtland definition of sustainability.
0: But maybe some people. So tell us what quickly what that one is.
1: Sure, sure. So it's sustainable development is development that um, meets the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. So I w- wanted to take that concept, but really break it down and what that means for sustainable fashion.
0: So what were the key concepts that you came up with?
1: You know, going back to just looking at the full, like the a whole systems approach. So everything very beginning of life to very end of life and potentially continued life. And um, we came up with seven main ideas, seven pillars. So I can just quickly run through the list if that's okay with you.
0: Sure, sure. I mean, I think it's really, it's really good sometimes in the sustainability and environmental movement to have, to have some idea that there are plans, that there are kind of blueprints that are available to us to wrap our heads around and kind of understand. So sure, let's
1: go. It's seven pillars. <laughs> so the first one is efficiently uses resources. The second is uses en- energy from renewable resources. The third is uses positive material health. The fourth uses circular materials. The fifth is maintains ecosystems. The sixth is designed conscientiously. And the seventh is socially responsible. So during the process of pulling together these main areas of sustainable design, you know, as you mentioned before, I looked to all of the resources that were out there, the guidelines, as many reports as I could read, and try to just come up with like what were the the big takeaways and how they could be grouped into like overarching topics. So you're talking about
0: resources that to making of making materials of making actual the fabric fashions. Is that what you're talking about in resources or something else?
1: Oh, I'm talking about the guidelines that are available out there. So like the international labor guidelines or. The NRDC is clean by design, like different NGOs and organizations have invested a lot of time and research into creating their own guidelines. So I wanted to more aggregate the resources versus doing any of my own, like, research of, you know, into factory systems. Like, there, there's plenty of resources out there.
0: One of your key pillars is about ecosystems. I'd like to spend a little bit more time kind of breaking that down a bit uh, as in the context of the production of fabrics and
1: creating fibers. So when we talk about fiber development within fashion, there's huge issues with certain fibers. And just in general, the issues with fashion are very complex and it's not like this is good or this is bad. It's just understanding the impacts. And I I think some of the wording needs to be a a little bit more just very descriptive versus too overgeneralizing. So when we're describing the impacts of different fibers um, and speaking in terms of maintaining ecosystems, you know, I was going to kind of talk a little bit more on um, rayon today, if that Mm, works. Yeah, sure. We could also talk about cotton too.
0: I think rayon is probably everybody knows and so... When we read those labels, what what yeah. should we know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, rayon is it's becoming I think it's the third most widely used fiber after cotton and polyester. It is derived from wood pulp, so I think you know it's very common to read that and be like, okay, this is better. This is a natural resource. Um, it's some you can kind of plant. plant. More trees, right? Yeah, right. and I think a lot of companies will promote that as like a better alternative to polyester or nylons and fabrics like that. But, you know, I ran is, uses trees and a lot are from, um, I think I was reading the canopy report that it's responsible for 200 million trees being cut down a year. And this is probably data. Like it's probably, more than that, because I I think it's also, it's very hard to, that that data isn't readily available to know exactly what the tree use is for, but it's, you know, responsible for contributing to deforestation. Some forests are natural, some forests are managed forests and some are natural forests. So they're chopping wood from like the Amazon. And that obviously has devastating consequences beyond, you know, the actual, how the wood is acquired for rayon. Rayon requires a lot of chemicals in the process to break it down into a usable fiber, and those chemicals leak into the water systems. So when we talk about maintained ecosystems, the general idea for that is that we want to protect our ecosystems from degradation and contamination. We want to maintain biodiversity, and we want to create an environment that supports a healthy life for its inhabitants. And those inhabitants are people insects, animals, and it's difficult. <laughs>
0: so chopping chopping down trees, deforestation, not only affects the global environmental problem, but also affects local communities because people are then living, having to live on that kind of a land and live on when there's water pollution and those kinds of things. And those those are, I think you're, you're pointing out that, I mean, a lot of this, we're beginning to understand that these little things add into a whole systems, like looking at something like that. So so something as simple as buying a rayon T-shirt is involved more than just buying the T-shirt. There's a whole lot more.
1: Right. And then just to, to not only pick on rayon, but to talk about right. cotton for <laughs> Tom, a second. Okay, sure. <laughs> no, Well, when we're talking about, so because cotton is a monoculture crop, that it it, can, it destroys the land so it contributes to erosion it you know hurts the topsoil and so now like local communities are left with land that they can't use for farming anymore so not only is it water thirsty it requires a lot of chemicals and these chemicals can contaminate food crops nearby too so it's it's as you like start to dig into the impacts it just everything keeps growing if you look at, you know, the full system as we were talking about before.
0: This is really interesting. So continuing with your points about impacts and as a way to educate the consumer, could you expand on costs and the life cycle of making a t-shirt?
1: I think it's important for there to be more rules and regulations defining how we speak to sustainability to allow customers to actually make educated choices and decisions cuz i do feel like that's going to ultimately drive ultimately drive businesses especially with how posts can blow up on tiktok and social media yeah i think i think that would be very very important i think consumer education too just around the fact that you know prices do need to increase and if something is oh, yes. very, very I think, cheap, and that's, there's
0: bringing, like, facing the fact that so much of the fashion industry has been like unfair labor and, mm-hmm. and pricing. And
1: yeah, I mean, if you're not paying for like natural resources and that's free to use as much water as you want for a cotton t shirt, like, that's not very fair. So, but if something's really cheap, there's another price that's coming from somewhere. So it's either in labor, it's in natural resources that are being like just thrown away for disposable goods. Every step along the way, there's definitely a, like just even like the, you know, the cotton growers right. in India. I mean, there's a whole issues with like Monsanto and cancer and the debt of india cotton farmers and like how it's destroying their actual food crops so that's a that i mean you could study that for like years if you once you dive into it like you can keep diving but so from there you know the cotton is spun at the mill or you know knitted into like the actual fabric woven into the fabric and then from there that fabric is dyed taken to a dye house and like bleached and you know get ready to use and then then it's dye and then it's taken to the factory what about
0: the dyes and the bleaching and the water
1: there's There's a lot there there. yeah so i mean uses a lot of water uses a lot of hot water a lot of chemicals and then there's issues with runoffs until poisons like local um, supply streams so it You know, where these factories are, it destroys, like, the grounds for the community, too. Even if, like, someone doesn't work at the factory, their lives are affected. One t-shirt is, like, takes two years worth of clean drinking water. Oh, my God. Which is crazy, one regular cotton t-shirt. And then as far as wage is concerned, you know, there's many issues because even brands that, you know release their factory information and how much they pay. There's a difference for so between minimum wage paying that and like an actual fair living wage because minimum wage is set by the government and to encourage people to come in and, you know, use, it's kind of a race to the bottom for minimum wage for people to produce in their countries. So it's not really in the, the actual minimum wage to survive. There's, you know, With some people, their, like, passports or, you know, their documentation are held or their wages are held if they, like, quit or if they won't work the overtime. Like, there's very little, like, say. Yeah, so there's, like, there's organizations like Asia Floor Wage Alliance that have been established hoping to set, like, a minimum wage across all um, countries to... And uh, and a living wage, sorry, across all countries that would pay for like enough like calories per person per day, education, 10% savings, like the bare minimum it would take to survive and live like a decent life, like in the SDG goal. So and shockingly, it doesn't actually raise the final price of goods very much at all.
0: That's interesting. To establish
1: that it's like. According to the Asia Floor Wage Alliance, a a regular T-shirt, like let's say a $20 T-shirt, in order to me bring it like a $20 T-shirt that's probably being produced on like a large scale. So we're talking like perhaps target units or something. But guess what the price difference would be to take it from minimum to living?
0: Yeah. Well, I think what you said was 16, 16 cents. Is that what you said?
1: Oh, it's ten. That's all. Ten cents. Oh my god. Yeah, that's all. So it's you know consumer education behind that because try telling that to like, you know, anyone in like a management position. Like, if ten cents is a lot, right? Because there. Um, but it's also like not a lot to in reality so
0: it's a shift in in how you think consciousness you really have to understand so in in the in all this research and knowledge that you've accumulated are you able to like then in your in the work that you're doing on consulting do you have experience like working with companies who are beginning you're, you you spoke in the beginning how it was difficult to get anybody to listen is anybody? Are people listening now? Is, do you have
1: some kind of credibility to speak to these? I actually recently started working for um, doing a a project of looking at a company's sustainability report that they are giving to their vendors, and this report categorizes best decisions that the comp- that they encourage their vendors to make from a fiber perspective a manufacturing perspective and transport perspective. So I have the opportunity now to kind of go through it and we're in very early stages but just someone who's worked on the design side and someone who has worked on the vendor s- side supporting larger retailers the and someone you know from a sustainability perspective too. The ins and outs of the report that I'm you know, we're going back and forth on. So that's a fun project going on now. And the the second opportunity that I've had to really help create change is working with this NGO last year called Headshow Pornosotros. It's a NGO based out of Argentina. And are you familiar with the NGO? A little bit, but
0: Oh, But no, 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 go on, go on. I think because I think this was a really it was a great it was a pivot, another pivot, a COVID pivot, right?
1: It was a COVID pivot. (laughs) So during the COVID year, I worked with a team of collaborators there to help put together a free sustainable fashion toolkit. And this was um, in conjunction with like the World Economic Forum and the UN. And so it was an online class. I helped with the design thinking modules as well as the intro to sustainability modules. And for part of my work with the NGO, I wanted to seek out change makers within the fashion industry that are on a smaller scale but doing really unique things to address all of our challenges. Um, So that was kind of a nice moment of like, you know, it's, it's very heavy to dive into all the impacts and it's great to spend some time researching people that are like creating like great positive change too. helps balance everything out. So I had the opportunity to interview and speak to a lot of really interesting people. There's, I learned about the field of regenerative agriculture through um this research and i got the opportunity to speak to fiber fiber sheds founder rebecca burgess completely moved by you know her story and the work she's doing wanted to pack up and like move to a farm which i still kind of do and really deep dive and learn learn more about that area of sustainable sustainability
0: Thank you. I want to go back to greenwashing a little bit. And what could you share with the audience about kind of about what it is and what some of the examples of how that shows up in advertising or labeling
1: in with fabrics and what, what can they be thinking about? Well, I, I think the one thing that you really want are specifics. So if you see a label that's like, this is an eco-friendly product, like, that doesn't mean anything. And that's, it's very confusing. And I think it's actually against the FTC guidelines. Like, you're not technically not that, you know, anyone is being prosecuted for that. But you aren't. So
0: it's just your name, you, you decided somebody in marketing decided to put on the label. But. Because
1: what does it's not teaching the consumer anything. And how, how are you defining eco friendly? Like, if, you know, if you're saying like, all right, well, I'm using organic cotton, say that. But you also, the overall impacts of the garment, yes, you will have less pesticides. You won't, but it still is water thirsty. So can you really call that eco-friendly? Like it just, it's better to just say what the product is. And then there are, I remember from school, seven categories of greenwashing sins. And, you know, some are, like, advertising things that are, that everyone has to do. Like, this doesn't contain, like, XYZ hazardous chemicals, but it's actually illegal to put that in there. Like So that, that couldn't be a green claim. But I think transparency, and if ideally you'd want something third-party certified or verified to know that this is actually the case. So... Those would be the, the strongest claims that you would want to review. And then it is completely great for people to reach out to companies and ask these questions too. Like Fashion Revolution has started a campaign, Who Made My Clothes? And they encourage that, you know, customer to company communication because that is a louder voice. And that um, companies, you know, with social media with TikTok and Instagram and a post can blow up and reach so many people so quickly and be devastating for a company, they will hear these voices. I think people are more amplified now.
0: What is Who Made My Clothes?
1: Yeah, um, it's a organization called Fashion Revolution. And I think it's maybe it's just during Earth Day week, but they have a campaign every year and so they want you to take a picture of the inside of your label post it to the company and then ask like who made these clothes so this the campaign goes back to traceability in the supply chain like they want to make sure that the companies are being paid or the employees are being paid a livable wage that they understand the different um, factory tiers because you can have a You can manufacture your clothes at a factory, but then they could use some subcontractors. So even though you understand what's going on at the factory, that your primary factory that you're producing your clothes at, you might not necessarily understand what's going on with the subcontractors. And the subcontractors could have subcontractors. So it gets very, very murky. And there is a definite wall between our garments On the other side, what has gone into producing them. So I think it's a campaign to kind of bridge that information as well. And to let companies know that we are curious, we are watching, and you will be asked these questions.
0: So what, what can you tell us about these take back bins? Also, these are other ways of take back bins at stores or like re you know, reusing our clothes, not buying as much, those kinds of things also are helping in this on the sustainability part of the fashion of fashion.
1: Yeah, I'll start with reusing and mending. Okay. Um, Cause that's kind of the shout-out for to to that. Tackle. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the longer you can wear your clothes and mending is i think coming a little bit back into style because you know whereas before the mindset was like why would i fix this shirt when i could buy a new shirt for 15 dollars or whatever um, I, i think people realize now that there are more costs beyond like the cost on the price tag but these costs have impacts too so it's becoming more cool to start mending your clothes again and I think thrifting has really gone up as a, a great way to express yourself in a un, unique style, as well as, you know, your, that's the least impact thing you can do. It's better than buying any new clothes, no matter how they were produced. You're taking something that's already out there and you're giving it life versus having it go to the landfill because most donated clothes really end up in landfills or landfills in other countries. And sorry, can you, can you ask the second oh, part of the no, question again?
0: Like, like the, I think the take back bins or that was another part. Oh, I mean, yes. I really like, I will, really, you know, thrifting yes, and mending, but I think, that, I think some stores are doing take back
1: bins. It's a little bit more complicated. I know brands will take back some of their own garments, but I'm not exactly sure what happens after. So I think Eileen Fisher has like campaigns where they mend and resell. Same with Patagonia. But when it comes to actually recycling fibers and the technology today, in order to recycle fibers, it has to be separate blends. So it's either all bio based, like cotton blended with other bio based fibers, or technical nutrients, so like polyesters and nylons blended together. But many garments today, especially like leggings, it will be majority cotton or some biofabric, and then just a small percentage of like something to make it stretchy, which is usually a technical nutrient. So companies that have buyback bins that take these clothing, I'm not I'm not sure if the technology has changed or advanced or if they have something that they can do, but I wish I could answer that question. But it is, it is interesting to see the amounts of retailers that are now selling set, um, clothes that have been returned to them on their sites. So that's pretty cool.
0: Could you give us a quick recap of some of the things that consumers can do?
1: Sure. I can do a quick recap. So first, if possible, Thrifting and mending your clothes are just really easy ways to help keep landfill and maintain ecosystems. And then the second thing you can do is question companies and be a part of the voices of consumers that are asking them what goes behind like the manufacturing of their clothes. And then the third is where possible to really support companies that are sharing their practices that have kind of robust and informative campaigns, third-party certifications and data to back it up, like Eileen Fisher, Patagonia, companies that we're familiar with. But um, do your research and, and try to put your dollars to companies that are helping create positive change.
0: Well you've tackled a really big topic and I appreciate all the work that you've done. We're coming to a close and I always like to ask my guests to share with us who are other women environmentalists who inspire you.
1: <laughs> well I'm going to go back to Rebecca Burgess. I just like I I she's so knowledgeable and she you know she saw she gave herself a challenge. That was the the start of the fiber shed movement. She only wanted to wear clothes that were derived um, locally. And then from there, she just worked to kind of uncover more and more opportunities and how like this could actually be something bigger. And she started small and, and then created this mass movement of change. And just just watching like the whole you know trajectory of her career is so inspiring and she is so inspiring so yeah i would suggest that if viewers are interested to take a look at fibershed and perhaps check out her book
0: well we'll definitely have it on our resource page on our on our website (laughs) so Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us and enlightening us about sustainability and fashion. And thank you for adding your voice to the growing community of environmental voices speaking up for solutions to solving climate change. Thank
1: you, Ellie. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for joining us today. We invite you to follow us on social media, Instagram and Twitter at eVoicesRising, and subscribe on our website, evoicesrising.com. Stay tuned for more episodes on recycling, cleaning up plastic pollution, intersectionality, and regeneration. Until next time, remember that we all can make a difference.